Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Thanks for joining us again for this, our 80th episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Today's question was suggested by one of our listeners who asks, of all the awful things that are happening in our culture today, which social problem or issue should be the Christian's major focus? Now, I know that uh, any one of us could give a litany of social ills. And if you pay any attention to recent news, things that are happening November 2019, we have the issue that's being brought up of teen vaping or transgenderism or pedophilia or bathroom use and locker room use by people of different genders and what's happening in the sports area and school shootings and the fact that um, there are people who are not really qualified to get the many jobs that are available. So, Steve, what do you think our questioner is really asking, given the litany? And I could include here abortion or euthanasia. So there's all these different things. What's the major focus that a Christian should be putting his or her attention on? Right. Well, I think all of these different questions are questions unto the future, and they are all question, what is the single thing that's going to determine whether tomorrow, our next generation, our grandchildren, whether it's going to be a Christian future? And embedded in all of these various concerns are fears that one you know, cataclysm or, or one apocalypse uh, is going to destroy that Christian future, uh, whether it's the health and safety of our children or the uh, future of the next generation. I think as we Look at to look at these various dilemmas and issues. The one common thread is the education of our children. You know, it really doesn't matter uh, about what they vape and uh, what school they or what curriculum they learn in school if they're not able to first understand their relationship with the Lord. So it sounds like, well, how is that going to solve the current problem? And I think by talking about the future, you realize that somebody had in mind 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago how the culture was going to be shaped. And a lot of these social ills come directly out of those people attempting to take dominion in their area, whereas a lot of Christians were waiting to be raptured or thinking that all they had to put their attention on was their own small little sphere of their home and sort of head for the hills and, and, and wait to be rescued. Uh, would you say that that's a good assessment of why the various social ills that I've just enumerated are present? I, I think that's a great assessment, especially in this last century. You see, what we have endured in the last 100 years through two world wars, through the introduction of uh, autoimmune diseases, things like AIDS and genocide, all of these experiences the last 100 years have caused a great number of people uh, to question whether the future is Christian. They've also coincided with a great uh, doubt on the authority of the scripture. Now, the, the birth of uh, Darwinism, evolution, and eugenics all coincided at the same time the authority of the scripture was being questioned. So it's 
a century of uh, questioning the progress of human civilization because up until 100 years ago the the history of western civilization was on the upward curve and then as soon as we got to a point of decadence and abundance we began forgetting the foundations that built us step by step to that platform and the moment we stepped off the platform of the scripture we started to see the future and how we write history slip out from underneath us and suddenly uh, not only did war and famine genocide and racism become and emerge as the world's greatest issues they were attempted to be solved with secular and humanist solutions mainly through education and so what we have seen coincide with a century of doubt is a century of government embraced education and so for christians who want to turn the future of our culture future of our civilization towards christ's kingdom and dominion then we must remember that it was the idea of training and informing and educating the next generation that led us down the wrong path but it's also the solution to the right path you know years ago and i'm thinking now it's well over 10 maybe even 15 years can't remember i'd have to look at the copyright on the book but calcedon published a book by bruce short entitled the harsh truth about public schools and in it he sort of broke it down to the physical problems if you place your child in a public school well now bullying is the big issue that people want to address and you hear public service announcements on how to stop bullying functional illiteracy was another thing he brought up and you hear about that today that with the use of electronic devices people are less able to read they're less able to write and even put together a coherent sentence then of course there's the emotional and spiritual realities of what goes on there and it still sort of surprises me that so few churches emphasize you must remove your children from public school because what they're learning now will become the accepted practice 10 15 20 years from now why do you think the churches don't get it by and large i think it's it's inconvenient uh, it requires a great deal of work it requires um, a great deal of finances a great deal of education and the american church today is an inch deep right and miles wide and we have replaced a, a gospel of the kingdom with a gospel of rescue and escape and i think the reason that the churches don't get it is because they have misplaced the idea of mission right they they have seen the world as a building that's on fire and the mission of the church is to rescue those before they perish but the reality is it's not that at all we are building a a new house and we're conscripting folks to come and bring the beams and planks and lay the foundations of a new building we are building something here that's eternal and part of our salvation because the church has this truncated view of of what salvation is it spreads to every other sphere and so as they misplace mission they misplace uh, the entire set of priorities i think that's probably why homeschooling isn't generally embraced in a lot of churches uh, they're afraid to come out in support of homeschooling because they don't want to offend the public school educators or the families who are making use of public school for their children but the 
connection that is destroyed when you take your children and you give them to people who, whether or not they overtly say they hate God and they hate his commandments, certainly aren't allowed to talk about it. And so when you have parents who blithely send their children on the school bus or they do, um, you know, walk their kids to the school right across the street because it's convenient, I wonder how many of them understand the judgment that's going to be theirs when they stand before God. And he says, what did you do with the children I gave you? Well, and that's a problem all around is that the child itself is not seen as a blessing. Uh, if we were speaking in, in models of discipleship, if the Lord came to you in a, a dream or a vision and said, I'm going to guarantee uh, a new convert, right? Go to the Starbucks, sit in the chair, and a new believer who's welcome, who's welcome, meaning to the gospel, is going to show up and you're able to, to have a conversation and lead them to the Lord, right? Imagine if the Lord said that to you, that you're going to walk into just a public place and a new convert's going to come right up to you and you're going to have the opportunity to disciple them. You know, that would be your ideal experience. I mean, there are Christians throughout the world who are praying for that to happen, you know, in their job, in their workplace, uh, in their social in, uh, environments. They're praying for opportunities to disciple and lead somebody to the Lord. Yet the Lord says that the children that he gives to us are that exact same opportunity. And instead of seeing those as souls to be nurtured and brought into the kingdom, we see them as burdens. And then we see them as something that is to be uh, educated by a third party, is to be discipled by the government. It is to be put into a machine or economy that serves their personal purposes and completely miss the fact that this was the discipleship opportunity that the Lord gave you. Maybe it's just too simple to say our major field of evangelism are our own children, the children in our congregation, and that we should be making a top priority, not only Christian grammar schools, but Christian high schools and colleges and, and ways in which people are going to be saturated with the idea that nothing is true if Jesus Christ is not the foundation. And that's really the, the question we have is, what is the intention of uh, your family? What is the goal of uh, your children's future? And when we look at the output of government schools today, I was just reading a post on Facebook written by a government school teacher. And this government school teacher says, I'm tired of parents who think they can run the school. I'm tired of parents who think that they know better than uh, the schools. And the teachers in government schools have this idea that because they have a, a degree in education, that they know what's best for your children. Uh, this particular teacher said that the school is not a place for your antiquated or ancient belief systems to be forced on children. It's the time for them to discover who they truly are. Too many of us look at uh, government education or public education as neutral or indifferent. That it's only about learning your words, your letters, your, your sounds, and your history. But the reality is that we are fighting a war against ideas, and our children are what the Psalms call arrows in the hands of a, of a mighty man. And if you give your armory over to the enemy, uh, what, how do you expect the church to move forward? So many of uh, Christians who are in the homeschool world or in the Christian uh, conservative world are dissatisfied with the effect that we have in the world. You know, we, we're 
losing the battles. But the reality is we're losing because we sacrifice our greatest weapon, our greatest ability, our greatest asset before they're even able to mature into those mighty arrows to be launched to the enemy camps. And I dare say that with, with very few exceptions, most parents are not looking for their children to be arrows. They're looking for their children to be sheltered, not so that they could be sharp arrows someday, but so that they're going to be protected from bad guys. Well, if you send your children into an arena where good and evil are defined very differently than the Bible does, it's hard to imagine what people expect. Are they going to close their eyes and say, the bad stuff isn't going to happen to my children? My children aren't going to learn that old people are a drain on society and we should encourage them to eliminate themselves. Well, guess what? You're going to be the old person in your child's life 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now, depending on where you are. Are you really comfortable with the fact that that's going to be the orientation because that's what they were taught? And it's more than just a selfish ambition of, I want my kids to take care of me when I get old. But there is something that the Lord says in the scripture that always comes back to me when I think of uh, children in education. And the Lord says, greater miracles will you do than I. Right? He talks about how his apostles and the descendants of the apostles will do greater miracles than Jesus. And of course, we can look through the miracles of Jesus, walking on water, turning water into wine, bringing the dead back from the life. How could we possibly imagine that we could do greater miracles than Jesus? But that's his inerrant word. It says that that's what going, what's going to happen. But I think in the last millennium, we have discovered what the Lord meant by that statement, that the advance of medicine, the advance of education, the advance of Christian culture has made it possible to have miracles greater than the Lord himself did. Uh, we see reports every year of doing surgeries and operation of children in utero. We see children who are given their sight by uh, medical miracles. We see children who are given their hearing by the implantation of medical devices. We see children who are rescued from certain death by giving uh, the antidote to certain disease. And that comes through the miracle of Christian foundation. It's because a thousand and two thousand years ago christians began to take seriously the idea of taking dominion over this world began to say this is the lord's and everything that dwells in it and greater miracles will we do in this world than even our lord did it's remarkable to think that christians today would want to throw away that opportunity that the child that you have who could be the next great christian physicist engineer doctor whatever it may be is going to do a miracle greater than Jesus if they're given that proper Christian foundation. Otherwise, you're taking that great gift and giving it to, to Moloch, to the enemy. And I dare say that most people would say, well, wait a minute, how could you attribute medical advancement and technological advancement to Christianity? That's just science. And that's where their own education shows forth that they actually believe that there is neutral ground and that public education isn't inherently religious, just a religion, humanism, thoroughly, 100% contrary to what the Bible says. Because there is no advancement 
as I said before, unless it's based on the truth of Jesus Christ. Because if it's based on some other truth than Jesus Christ, then we're really foolish to believe the word of God because there must be something greater than Jesus Christ if his statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, isn't true. Yes, and Rushdie talks about cycles in history. You know, the ancients didn't believe in the progress of human history. They believed that there was this endless cycle of history, and it's evidenced in the way that an evolutionist or a Darwinist or, or a modern <laughs> secularist talks about history. Imagine just for a moment in your mind, hold the idea that the evolutionist is right and the world is billions of years old. Well, it just so happens that in their worldview for billions of years, even uh, in the last several millions of years or the several last hundred thousands of years that humans have made very little progress, right? Humans have existed according to the evolutionists for a long time. And yet, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, they don't make any progress. It is only about 2,000 years ago when a certain uh, Jewish wandering pastor who happens upon the Palestine begins to set forth a change in human history. It's bizarre to think that somebody who has such a long view of history as an evolutionist would not recognize how rapidly the world has changed since the advent of Christ. And I think that points to the evidence that not only are they wrong about the, the age of the world, but they're wrong about their view of progress. Their progress is only possible inside the confines of a closed Christian worldview. And that's why, as Rush Juni would say, every area of life and thought needs to be brought under the dominion of Jesus Christ, because if you think that science, history, literature, uh, geography, mathematics are some sort of independent thing, then you really don't have a universe where everything is unified together and that all things will work together for the good, for those who love God and those who are called. Then you have this idea that Christianity is a nice thing, but it's not a necessary thing because look at all the great things that are happening apart from it. When, as you said, if you know Christian history, you're going to realize that the other history that's promulgated is a false and revised history. That's right. And you mentioned the Lord's words, uh, that he is the way, right, the truth and the life. And you know, if we think about that idea of the way, uh, that's actually one of the ways that the Christians describe themselves. They didn't say in the very first centuries that we were Christian or that we were a part of a church, they used this phrase that they were a community of the way. They were following the way of Jesus, this kind of path. And they understood that the only way to the Father was through the way of Christ. But that idea of way requires a certain precision in our thought and thinking. Right now, we're getting ready to go into uh, the Thanksgiving season. And we remember about a, a community of believers who got in a boat and followed the way across the ocean and landed. Uh, that required a certain uh, precision in the direction they were choosing to go. In fact, some cartographers, you know, map makers, talk about how if they had been just a few degrees off of the way when they left England, they wouldn't have actually landed anywhere close to where they were supposed to be. Uh, and you can take that a step further that if you have a, a rocket ship and you're launching from the planet earth and trying to hit the moon if you're just one degree off you'll miss the moon four times over so when we talk about the greatest 
issues facing the church today, our families today. We have to be people who are willing to take seriously that the way that we are supposed to go comes from Jesus and that we can't be one degree or two degrees off doing our own thing. We're adding our own opinions or emotions or feelings. We must remind ourselves that it's the way of Jesus that we want to raise our children in. It's not the way of, of STEM. It's not the way of college prep. It's not the way of Waldorf or, or free-range parenting. It's not the way of becoming a chess or a violin prodigy. It's not the way of recognition from the world. The real issue is, do they have access to God the Father? Right? Are they following the way that leads to God? When they are before the throne of God in the last day, have you prepared them to receive a well-done, good and faithful servant? And if you aren't leading them in the way, if you're taking them two, three, four, 90 degrees in a different direction, the Lord's holding us responsible. And the reality is every other institution in this world, whether it's the school, the state, they are at war with the Lord who says, this is my way or no way. And so our job as parents is to lead our children in the way uh, and that they might not depart from it. Now, a lot of people listening are like you. They have young children or they have children that they're raising. Some have them in Christian school. Some have them in their home school. And some, sadly, are still having them in public school. But there are a whole group of people, such as myself, who've raised our children. We've already done it. So what's the thing we should focus on? Should we be focusing on establishing schools that will not give in to transgenderism or multiculturalism or whatever? Or should we be looking at the fact that, okay, some of us are grandparents. We should be actively involved in the Christian education of our grandchildren, helping our children out if they can't afford a private Christian school or they can't afford to homeschool to jump in and say, we'll help, we'll do it. Or let's say you don't have people who, your family members who are live close to you geographically. Go out and find other people within your congregation or your community who are really interested in pursuing Christian education for themselves or their family and jump in and help. It's not that I don't think we should protest abortion or that we should protest various social ills that come up, but where are those social ills being fed? When you send your child to a school or any child to a school and they have a very nice teacher who happens to be confused or wickedly pursuing a sinful lifestyle, how are you helping that child and how are you helping the future? So in a very real sense, if we don't help Christians live up to their profession of faith and say, look, you must remove your child and I'll help you and we'll be in this together then we're actually part of the problem. Because when someone sins against the Lord, they also sin against his people. And I find it offensive, personally, as well as societally, to know that there are people who go to churches on Sunday and then are shipping their children off to high schools or colleges that are teaching the hatred of God's law. Well, they're, en they're going to end up acting as enemies towards me. And I think, I find that unacceptable. And so, as you can tell, I get sort of livid on this subject. Yes. Well, and our good friend Mark Rushton talks about uh, the idea of the gospel and the kingdom. 
know, a lot of us have this misguided notion that the Christian woman or Christian man who's teaching in the public school is having a positive influence. Maybe they're giving good morals or they're building relationships, or maybe we have the misguided notion that the, the child in the public school is being some sort of missionary. But the reality is, and, and Dr. Rushtree talks about this in the Foundations of Social Order, is that what we are being asked to do, you know, to swallow maybe a little bit of teaching on evolution, maybe a little bit of teaching on uh, gender identity, to tolerate uh, other religions and all these things that our kids experience in public school is so much greater than what the Christians were refusing to tolerate in the Roman Empire, right? Uh, I often discuss this in terms of like the American Revolution, right? George Washington and, and Paul Revere and these guys were willing to overthrow the king, <laughs> in a sense, over a few cents on, uh, you know, a tax on, on tea and stamps and things like that. Very minor taxes. But the principle of it was so outrageous to them because of their Christian values that they were willing to risk their life, their fortunes, and their futures the same thing today, if you look at how much of our income goes to the federal government, how much of our freedom, our property are restricted by all of these regulations, George Washington and Paul Revere would be ready to revolt again today against the American civil government, right? So uh, that's a strange juxtaposition. And I think the same thing is true of Christians. In the first century, Christian, he could have received uh, all of the benefits of a Roman life to be part of the greatest empire thus far existing on earth. He could have been a Roman citizen. He could have had access to Roman education, Roman civil courts, to Roman life. All you really had to do was get on your knees and light a candle to the emperor. That's, that's really all you had to do is say, all right, yeah, emperor is Caesar, Caesar's Lord. Say that simple phrase, acknowledge in your outward duty that Caesar is the emperor of Rome. But Christians in that century were willing to be fed to lions, to be burned alive, to be nailed to crosses, not because they were being told, oh, you can't be Christian. Caesar had no problem with them being Christian as long as they also said, you know, Caesar's Lord. But because they refused to even budge one degree, they died. But yet today, Christians who say they believe in the same Lord, who follow the same tradition of those apostolic fathers are willing to say all kinds of things are lord well it's the government school and so the superintendent is the lord he gets to decide what they teach well you know i live in the state of california and the governor's gavin newsom and you know he's the lord so he gets to decide what happens in the schools right we allow and abdicate so much authority that would the christians of the first century even recognize us as christians or would they see us as compromising laodicean lukewarm Christians who need to be spit from the mouth of the Lord. And, you know, those of us who are willing to sacrifice in front of altars by allowing our children to say that other people are Lord are going to be held to an account by the saints when we go hoping to get to the gates of heaven and see these people who were beheaded, torn to pieces, burned alive for taking stands while we were just casually living our life. And you think of how much things have changed in as much as people don't know the story of the martyrs. I don't think most Christian young people have read Fox's Book of Martyrs. They don't understand the very issues that you just described. And so as a result, 
they can have this view that says Christianity is this intolerant religion because all these other folks are much more tolerant than Christians. Christians say, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Well, in many cases, they can't discern because they've never been taught God's law and they've never been oriented to the fact that we are here to conquer in Jesus' name as opposed to get along. And by the way, don't feel like you have to mention Jesus. Just be a good worker, be a good friend, be a, a good citizen, and people will get it somehow or other by osmosis. That's how you lose a culture. A, a great study in this is uh, How Shall We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer, where he goes through and shows how cultures do exactly that. The sad thing is, is we think that we're being nice. We think that we're being kind to people when we allow them to follow their own desires, right? We, we believe this myth that everybody has the ability to make the decisions for what's best for them. We believe the lie that the world says that there are different paths for different people, that uh, there are different strokes for different folks. But what we miss is the Lord says that his way is the way of truth, righteousness. The way of obedience is the way of blessing. And so when we allow people and we allow ourselves to take these alternative paths to ignore the calling, we're not allowing them to be their best person. The family is best served by education under Christ. The family is best served by obedience to God's law. The family is best served by following the social structures outlined in the scripture. These aren't things that are good ideas that sometimes you can take some and take others. Now, these are the ways to become truly human, made in the image of God. Everything else is a distortion of who you are meant to be. And that's why we shouldn't be overly concerned about numbers. They outnumber us. They have more money than we do. You and I know what it's like to look at young people because we're both affiliated now with a Christian school. And when these young faces are looking at you and they say, teach me, and you get to teach them the truth of the scripture, and you see the spark in the child's eyes, like we have reached his spirit. He understands that now it's not a question of I'm older and he's younger. We're, we're, we're connecting on a spiritual level where every part of his, his being knows these things are true. And it's like you wake him up and it's like, yes, I was waiting to hear this, right? It doesn't have to be huge numbers if we do what's before us if we deal with the people god puts in front of us we will grow as a dedicated minority and let's face it most people want to follow someone else so let's be raising people who will be the leaders and be the ones that others will follow that's right and the dedicated minority it's always good to quote dr rush Jenning, who says history is never dominated by majorities, but always by dedicated minorities. And so the future is not in collecting numbers either. It's, as John Knox once said, with God on your side, you're always in the majority. Well, we come to the end of our time. I would like to recommend Dr. Rush Dooney's book, The Foundations of Social Order. You mentioned it earlier. But to give an idea of what Christians in the early days of the church were willing to take a stand on. And I would also encourage that you listen to the audio series on world history, a Christian survey of world history, where Rush Dooney takes a deliberate approach to looking at the major events of history in terms of 
a biblical orientation. And I think those are the sort of things that adults who are listening, who said, I, I had a terrible education. I never knew any of this stuff. Well, it's not too late to educate yourself. And then when you do that, you'll be in a greater position to educate your children or your grandchildren or the people in your church. Absolutely. And uh, another book I would recommend by Dr. Joseph Boot, The Mission of God, A Manifesto for Hope and Society, uh, which goes through a lot of these practical ideas of how God's law works out in our cultural philosophy and how the religious nature of human institutions demands that we have Christianity as the religion over all of God's world. Well, thank you, Steve. Thanks, listeners, and thanks for those who send in questions. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.